This is Steve Robbins. Welcome to the Get It Done Guys Quick and Dirty Tips to Work Less and Do More. I'm here today with Henrik Fexeis, the author of The Art of Reading Minds. He knew I was going to be here and he just happened to show up at the same time. Not quite sure how that worked. And we're here to discuss his book, The Art of Reading Minds. Welcome, Henrik. Well, thank you so much. So I am presuming that when you talk about the art of reading minds, you're not talking about literally mind reading. Like, no, you know, I, what do you I, want I, for I, dinner? Oh, I already know. Yeah, no, that, that kind of mind reading uh, just happens in fantasies. And that is actually what sends people into therapy. You know, when you assume <laughs> you tell. that your partner would read your mind, for instance, not a good idea. Got it. You mean my partner can't read my mind? Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to leave that between the two of you. <laughs> we're, we're in therapy. We're working on it. <laughs> so uh, then tell me, what, what is the book about and um, how did it come to pass? Right. So the thing is, uh, I've always been fascinated by human behavior, why we do the things we do, both to uh, each other and to ourselves. And I think it was because uh, when I was a young kid, I did not have any social skills at all. It felt like you know, everyone else had gotten this book on how to socialize with other people. And I was, you know, homesick from school that day. So I've always been fascinated by what controls our behavior. And, and soon I realized that, of course, it's us. We control each other. If, if control is even the, the, the word for it, maybe we influence each other's behavior. And this dance, this entangled uh, weave that we have of uh, communicating on a verbal, but also on a nonverbal level, was deeply fascinating for me. So I just started to to find out as much as I could about it just for myself. And I did that for like 20 years. And, and one day, uh, someone realized that, oh, you seem to know a, a, quite a lot about this stuff. And I said, yes, well, so do you. And they said, well, no, actually, we don't. Could you please tell us? And I realized that I was in a position where I could actually now start to teach people about things in communication that it turned out a lot of people don't know about. So I became uh, a professional speaker. And after that, I started writing books because I realized that there was so much stuff that people wanted to know that I couldn't, you know, squish it in just in 60 minutes in a, in a, in a talk. Uh, and here we are now with, the, with this book instead. Got it. So what difference did it make for you to read this or to learn all of this? Because you said when you started, you didn't have social skills and you learned all of this stuff about human behavior and how we influence each other. Why bother? What does it, what does it matter? Well, uh, it, it matters the world because here's the thing, Steve, my career today in, in Sweden and also international it has been a very, very fast career for me. It took like five years for me to become an international writer, to become an international speaker, to have my own TV specials and, and tour the world. And that was because I was just starting to use all the techniques that I write about. It wasn't about me having a great sales pitch or, or building a clever business model. It was me understanding how social interaction works and how you can use that to benefit. So... And that is why I also write about these techniques, because normally I don't like when people prove things by pointing to themselves, because I enjoy science, I like measurements and quantifiable data. But in this case, I can actually honestly say that, look, just look at me, I did this, and you can all do this. In fact, you should do this, because everything will get better. 
So what kinds of ways have you found of applying it? So you said, you know, if you understand how this works, you can use it to your benefit in, in what areas? Like I want to, I want to be a world famous speaker in five years. How would I do that using these techniques? And by the way, for the listeners, we will get into the specifics of some of the techniques, but right now I'm, I'm just curious as to what can I do with this? It's, it's a magic wand. Where can I wave it? Well, so the thing is, the book is really mainly about what we call nonverbal communication, which is a part of our communication we usually don't think about. And that includes, you know, all the classical things like body language, tone of voice, facial expressions, certain words you use and so on. And these tools or this kind of communication is something we use to create good relationships with other people. And the thing is, the one person you want to do business with or the one person you, you know, that you always top of mind you, that you call whenever you want something or need something, uh, that will benefit you both will be someone that you feel that you can trust and that you have a good uh, personal relationship with. And you create that by using these techniques. And the thing is, you do this whether you want to or not, because they are part of our, uh, modes of communication that we always use. So in every single meeting, you use all these techniques to either strengthen or weaken your relationship to that other person. But by taking control over them, you can make sure that you, in very short amounts of time, create these very strong and trusting relationships where people want to do business with you and also which will benefit, you know, creativity, productivity, everything you need to reach your goals. So, and, and people who do research in, you know, happiness and, and social interactions, they all come to the conclusion that all that matters are our social networks and our, our social interactions. Because without those, uh, we, we can't really do anything. So as soon as you say that, I'm thinking, you know, there are different kinds of human relationships we have. Sure. Because I, I think, oh, I have friends. Then I also think I have a schmoopy. <laughs> which is a different kind of relationship. That's a yeah. romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also have coworkers. And right. my relationship with all three of these groups is going to be different. Is the stuff you're talking about, does this work throughout? Like, can I, because what I really don't want to do is go up to a coworker and send off the schmoopy vibes. Right. And I certainly right. don't want to go up to schmoopy and send off the coworker vibes. <laughs> no, well, the thing is, the stuff that we talk about now, um, I would almost say it's almost a primitive way of communicating. It's, it's so very, very deep in our core programming. So all the things you're talking about now, that is really the, the nuances and that's the next level. But before, before you can differentiate between your coworker and your schmoopy, you need to establish a, a baseline of rapport where you like each other's company and you trust each other. And that, of course, is neither whatever relationship you're going to have with this person. And that's really what this is about. So if the first thing I have to do is establish a baseline of rapport, how do I do that? Well, first, and this is going to sound almost stupid, but the first thing you have to do is actually to realize that other people are not sharing your mode of communication. In fact, other people's realities are a bit different than yours. And and this is, for most people, a huge thing to understand because, yeah, we look at other people, we talk to them, we try to listen to what they say to us, but mainly we're thinking about what we're going to answer next and something else about me, 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 and what am I going to do next and so on. So we have this filter 
about just thinking about ourselves, even when we think that we are giving someone else our attention. So the very first thing is to realize that we do communicate in usually different ways, and you need to observe how the other person is communicating by uh, his or her body language, tone of voice, or so on, because that will give you tons of information in how you need to approach them in order for them to understand you. So can, let's get into specifics here. Mm-hmm. What uh, Here I am talking with a new person, and they are giving me information about how their reality is different from mine. What is it exactly that I'm listening for, looking for? How am I finding that out, and how do I then use whatever it is that I find out? Well, first of all, there's something we have to realize, and that is every person that we build a relationship with is someone that we, on a subconscious level, think this is someone who is a bit like me, all right? Because there's only really one person in the, or one living being in the entire universe that you can know from the inside, and that is yourself. Everything else you have to observe, and by doing that, you create a distance. So if you are closest to yourself, who is the person you're going to be next closest to? Well, the person who is like the thing, the person you're close to, right? So we enjoy the company of people we feel are like us. Now, this is not a base for racism or anything like that. This is just, it has been established. So what we want to do and what we have done before we even had verbal speech is that we say to each other, I am a bit like you. I think in the same way. I share your values by, and now we're going to get practical, by adapting our communication to how the other person prefers to communicate. So for instance, uh, tempo of voice is a brilliant thing because if you can just adjust the tempo of your own speech to get a bit closer to the other person, if this is someone who speaks a bit faster than you or a bit slower than you, you could just slightly adjust. You don't have to match them completely, but if you just do that change in your voice, they will have an immediate but unconscious feeling about, yes, this is someone like me. I don't know why, but I think this is someone who thinks the way I do. And of course, that leads to them want to trust you. So the first uh, rule of creating rapport really is to adapt your nonverbal communication to the way the other person prefers to do it. Are they using a lot of gestures? Well, then you use a lot of gestures and so on. Got it. So, okay. So we have tempo of voice and then gestures. Now I've heard people talk about, about mirroring someone's gestures. So using the same gestures they use, or do you want to just gesture in general? Like if they're using a lot of gestures, you just use a lot of gestures and it doesn't so much matter which ones. Well, there's a debate going on there. And, and yes, uh, you can, if you want to mirror someone's gesture, but it's not necessary. And also, it could give yourself off. I mean, if you start to mirror them completely, it, they will get a very strange feeling about, here's someone doing exactly the, the thing I'm doing. That's weird. But what you can do is if you move, if you move your body in the same direction, if you're sending out the same signals, for instance, I don't know, uh, if we're sitting across each other and you lean backwards and put your hands around your neck, if I do exactly the same thing at that precise moment, that would look insane. But I can lean back and put my hands on the armrest. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I move in the same direction. I do the same kinds of movement, but I don't have to mirror them precisely. Got it. So let's, let's go back to voice tone because mm-hmm. this is an auditory podcast. Can you do a little demonstration? So let's say you meet me and it's like, Hi, boys and girls. 
I'm here today with Henrik. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say your last name in that oh, voice. Yeah. I got to um, do it. But but how how would you how would you adapt if you you know and I, I don't want to make it too extreme or I don't want to make it too silly uh, for right. for demonstration purposes sure. but I want to make it enough so that people can hear the difference. So the thing is, first of all, I have to gauge whether this is something I can adapt to or if I should pick something else because that's what's so great about this. We have all these kinds of different signals that we send out. So if I feel that my tone of voice is much much lower, I can't do that. I would try to match something else. Uh, for instance, the tempo of my voice. But if I'm not going to do that, I could just raise my pitch a bit and I will meet you here and I will talk to you up here instead. And this is not such a great change for me. I'm very comfortable talking here. But on the other hand, if we had met and you had a more, you know, uh, bass-like voice, I would easily talk to you here instead. And we would also probably talk a bit slower because that's usually what you do when you have a more more bass in your voice. And, and these changes are just minute. They're so small, but they make such an impact. You wouldn't just talk one or two sentences like that. No, you no, would no. basically. I would, yeah, I would keep on going it. Have it uh, going. Sorry, I would keep on doing it. Having said that, though, the entire reason why we're doing this is because we want to create a relationship, and a relationship goes both ways. So the idea is not about you adapting yourself, you know, throughout the entire conversation or the, throughout the entire meeting, the idea is, of course, for the other person to start to adapt to you as well. And it's when that happens that you know that now we have created strong rapport. And it's very easy to check that. You just create uh, a change in your own behavior. For instance, you move your body, you lean backwards, or you use your voice and just... If if we talk up here for a bit and then you just go down a bit and see whether they will follow you. And when they follow you, you know that now, now it's down. Now we start to adapt to each other. And that is your ultimate goal. Okay. So first, we we match where they are with something mm -hmm. like the voice tempo, with gestures, posture, etc. Yeah. Um, then we check to find out if we've achieved rapport by we do some kind of shift and we wait to see if they follow. And we might shift our voice tone or our gestures or whatever it is and see do they also shift. Absolutely, yes. Question about voice since it's so obvious in this conversation. Mm -hmm. You have – I have no accent at all, of course, and you have a very strong accent. Uh, Lord forbid anyone should think that it's the other way around. And would I do well if I am – talking to you to emulate your accent to some degree, or is that no-no? Is that, is that going to come across and sound like mimicking? Well, yeah. No, I, I would say stay clear of trying to mimic accents or speech impediments or because people with accents or other things going on with their voice are most often very acutely aware of this. So they will pick up immediately on whether you or someone else starts to, to mimic that. So you don't want to do that. You want to be much more subtle. And, that, Got it. and that's why I, I usually just suggest that match the tempo because that's the easiest one. Right. That makes some sense. And tempo is probably something that unless you're really too fast or really too slow, people aren't going to be that aware that that's what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So we have matching tempo of voice and gestures, and then we check to make sure that we have rapport. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, it sounds like what we've just done is establish I'm someone who's trustworthy. I'm somebody who has a reality that's like yours. I'm showing up as I'm showing up similar to you as measured mm -hmm. by my communication style. What do I do next? Well, also, we should point out that the reason why you suddenly feel uh, seem to be trustworthy 
is because we usually trust ourselves. And if you are like me, I should trust you the way I trust myself, right? Uh, yep. So the next thing we also have to realize is that the emotional state that the other person is in will be associated by the, your physical presence, which means that you have to make sure that you move them, if necessary, into a positive mental state. Because if they're in a negative mental state when you meet and they keep being there, they will associate meeting you with being in a negative mental state. Not consciously necessary, but next time they start to think about you, they will get a feeling of, oh, yeah, him. And you don't want that. So you have to make sure to put them in a positive mental state throughout the meeting. Unless, of course, it's a meeting where they're not supposed to be in a positive mental state. But I assume that we all want to have positive meetings. And of course, there are tons of methods of doing this, uh, but make them laugh. <laughs> That's a good one. But be aware of whatever's going on internally in that other person will be associated with you. And if you can't change them, maybe you should schedule the meeting to somewhere, some other time. If they, you know, if they just got told off by, by their partner or their boss or something. So you want to be attended to their emotional state. How do you do that? If someone walks up to me, how do I decide what emotional state they're in? So you, you want to pay close attention to the, the infliction of their voice what kinds of words they use, and also, of course, their facial expressions. If you study facial expressions, as I in the book, in The Art of Reading Minds, I have all these charts of minute changes in facial expressions. You will, After a while, it's, it gets very easy to see whether someone is sad or annoyed or a bit stressed out, even if they try to hide it. So I would suggest pick up a book, preferably mine, but another book is fine, and, and study some facial expressions. Um, to get a sense of what it is you're actually seeing, because we are seeing it. We are still reacting to this information that we receive unconsciously. We just don't know that we do it. So study facial expression. That's uh, a good way. All right. So someone comes up. We have established rapport because we're doing the same things in the same way. Mm -hmm. They are now trusting me a little bit more. Uh, I am now paying attention to their emotional state. Now, you said get someone to laugh. And right, I... I just saw the new 35 millimeter remastering of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right. which I think is one of the funniest movies ever made in all of human history. Agreed. And of course, there are people who watch it and they're like, oh my God, you think that's funny? <laughs> <laughs> You're old. So making someone, making someone laugh, how do I do that? Or are there other, other things other than making them laugh if I'm not very good at humor? Are there other things I can do to help get them in a good mood? And if so, how? Oh, sure. You could just start talking to them, you know, ask them about something fun that happened to them or something amazing that, that they experienced during the weekend. Get them to, to experience or, or remember uh, a, a fun memory. And when they do that, and, and you realize that that emotion is now coming back because that's what happens, you touch them on the shoulder. Because what happens then is that they will associate uh, your touch with their emotional state, which means that the next time you touch them on the shoulder, you will trigger that happy memory. So that way now, you can sort of almost lead them into uh, a mental state by letting them associate their memories with with the light touch of your, your hand on their shoulder, for instance. Now, does it have to be a touch? Because I can easily imagine that in a work situation – that could be a real no-no. Absolutely. No, it could be a word. It could be a, a specific gesture, as long as it's something very specific as something and something that you don't normally do. 
having said that, there are zones on the body, you know, on, on the uh, on the back of the shoulder, for instance, where light touch is appropriate. Uh, I, I would claim, at least over here, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it could be anything. It could be anything. Uh, and especially if whatever it is, if it's a gesture, say, if you repeat it every time this person is happy, the association will get so much stronger. Got it. Yeah, I, I think I, I tend to prefer the idea of a word or something. Sure. So if I did if I did a word, it would be like what I if if I were talking about oh, you went to the amusement park, I see that they're getting amused, mm-hmm. and then at that point I say something something like nice. Right. Or something. Would would that work? That would work perfectly. And uh, especially if you don't go around saying nice every other single sentence after that. But also say um, you know, accent it a bit so you put a bit of emphasis on the word nice for instance now i i exaggerate but but because then you have also a specific pronunciation of the word and the next time you do that particular thing nice the trigger will be much clearer for their subconscious okay so it's about having it not just be a specific word but having it be a unique phrasing or something where it distinguishes that from the other times you would use that word yeah, or that or touch. Combine, combine them, you know, uh, clap your hands together and go nice. Uh, now we have a much stronger thing because you have a visual uh, association, the image of you clapping your hands and you have the auditory association, the word nice. So you can do both. You know, they say that first impressions are the most important impressions to make. Yeah. And as you're saying this, that the image that just suddenly popped into my mind was a handshake. Yeah. Where if I am being introduced to somebody, if I can, if I pay attention to how I'm coming across and oh. make sure that I'm coming across light and happy and nice or whatever, and then I reach out and shake someone's hand, that's giving me a touch. And if I, if I then have a unique thing that I can say in that moment when I see them responding, mm-hmm. like, hi, you know, wait till they get eye contact, yeah. see if I smile, then they smile a little bit and then say, nice, really nice to meet you. Something like that. Exactly. And now I have the combination of the handshake, the image of me approaching them, the smile on my face, waiting. Now, the, it sounds like this whole thing, as I'm understanding it, the key here is waiting until they start to smile back. That well, I have to do this when they're having a particular emotional reaction, yes. not when I'm having a particular exactly, emotional reaction. Exactly. No, because uh, you want to associate the thing, whatever it is, with their emotions. And you want to trigger their emotions, of course. So, but also, uh, if you are in the same emotional state, I mean, that's even better. But this is not really about you; it's about them. And and by the way, I mean, I this all sounds very, I don't know, uh, de- devious. I think the word is. But what all we're doing here is that we want to lead someone else into a positive mental state. So this could never be, you know, a bad thing. But having said that. When you start to observe other people's modes of communication and when you realize how you can lead them into different emotional states, you also get a lot of information about the other person that they don't know that you have. They don't know that you know that they're sad when they try to hide it. So you have to be really careful about how you use this information that you gain about other people, how you use that in your conversation. You can't go around going, oh, hang on, you're actually really upset, aren't you? Because you know, they will feel violated. So you have to be really careful about how you use this. Got it. Okay. Um, I'm looking and wow, we are, we have blown through the time. Look at that. Uh, So Henrik, you have a book, which is The Art of Reading Minds. You yourself are an awesome person and you do speaking internationally. 
Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, so just curious, how can people find you and where can they get the book? Oh, actually, before we do that, is there any one thing that if people, if someone takes nothing else away from this, you want them to take this? Like what's the one takeaway that people should leave this interview with? Uh, well, probably it's the realization that you will probably get nowhere without great relationships with other people. If you don't have that, right. you can do anything. It doesn't matter. This is where it so all pe- people people are where it's at. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay, excellent. Now, since people are where it's at, where are you at? Where's the book at? And how can people find you? So the book is called The Art of Reading Minds. And the subtitle of the book is How to Understand and Influence Others Without Them Noticing. Uh, it's a bit evil, but fun. And I think the book should be uh, anywhere, really. It's on Amazon, of course, and Barnes & Noble and all the websites. And at your local booksellers, I'm sure they'll have it. It's going to be out on the uh, 15th of October. When this is out, I'm sure that date has already passed. So you have to edit this out. <laughs> and so uh, hopefully it's going to be everywhere in your face. And you can reach me at my website. I have a bilingual website. And it's uh, Henrik Fexius, that's H-E-N-R-I-K-F-E-X-E-U-S dot S-E. And I'm just, from that website, I'm just a click away and you'll reach me by email. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us. I've had a great time. Thank you for having me.